The Athletic. Totally Football League show. Derby off the bottom. Good for them. Goodison for Wazza. Elsewhere, Stone Cold Charlie Austin provides the X Factor for Rangers. The Chairboys take a seat at the top of League One. And early leavers left lamenting Lam Exit as Stevenage and Sutton leave it late. This is the Totally Football League show in association with Paddy Power. Welcome in then to the first of our bi-weekly romps through the EFL. Joining me, Matt Davis-Adams, today are Adrian Clark. Hello, Matt. Sam Parkins also with us. Good afternoon, Matt. And Flo Lloyd-Hughes. Hello, Matt. Hello, you lucky so-and-so. You managed to get down to the new den to see the uh, Championship's form horse or one thereof on Saturday. Um, plenty more of that later. Uh, first, let's get straight to the Championship. You're listening to the Totally Football League show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Championship headlines, Fulham top after another thumping win, this time 6-2 against Bristol City. Bournemouth dropped to second after losing at Luton. Derby are off the bottom. Borough are into the playoff places, but pain, thy name is Reading. A lousy week on the pitch for the Royals, compounded by the decision to strip one-to-way Liam Moore of the captaincy. Transfer-wise, Stoke have signed perennial Chelsea Loney, Lewis Baker and Phil Jagielka after his contract expired at Derby. Both featured in Saturday's win over Hull. Troubles brewing in Swansea with Jamie Patterson. He's in a contract dispute. The BBC also reporting that Jake Bidwell set to leave the Swans and join Coventry. And Onel Hernandez has swapped a loan at Borough for one at Birmingham. Chris Wilder called the Cuban one of the best pros I've ever worked with as he books his cab. Uh, right, we're going to start our look back on the weekend's action with Derby against Sheffield United. On Thursday's pod, we spoke with the Athletics Derby writer Elias Burke about the Rams' attempt to pull off an improbable fight against relegation. Well, they're now off the bottom of the table after beating in-form Sheffield United 2-0 at Pride Park. Uh, it was a kind of joyous celebratory atmosphere, Sam, but Wayne Rooney called it his toughest day this after not just Jagielka, but also Graham Shinney left to join Stoke and Wigan, respectively. The players that he has got, though, still very much doing the business for him. Very much so, yeah. I mean, two huge characters you would imagine that have had to leave the club. Jagielka's been nothing short of amazing, really, since he, he's been there. Got good experience in Stearman to, to come in with Curtis Davis, so not too many problems there, but an amazing result. When you think of the youthfulness of that midfield up against a a really, you know, experienced, been there, done it, championship midfield that, that Sheffield United can field. Brilliant result. Really top atmosphere it looked like at Pryor Park and two of the best goals you're going to see all season. He's passed two. It's a brilliant run from Lawrence. He's in the penalty area. Can he get the shot away? Still Lawrence! What a goal! What a goal! I can't... The, the, the first one is... Unbelievable individual skill, but there's something beautiful about that kind of languid, curled effort, finding its spot right inside the the far corner. And now it's Lawrence. Derby looking to finish it. Oh! My goodness! Brilliant day for him, but I mean, it sounds like there's going to be tougher days ahead and there's going to be more players leaving, which they're just going to have to accept and, and somehow keep going. Whether they can do it or not is a huge ask, but an amazing day for them on the field. Which was your favourite of the goals, Flo? 
I think the second because the celebration. It just think that, I think the whole moment was really special. I know it pains you to to talk about it, Matt, but um, yeah, against all odds, what they're doing there with with everything in the background, and I imagine you know things on Thursday were feeling kind of positive after Wayne Rooney's press conference where it looked like there was going to be a decision made about a preferred bidder, and then that's kind of rumbled on again and they still haven't managed to find one and then players leaving and still a transfer embargo and it's really difficult but what they managed to do under the circumstances the, the their performances recently have been you know nothing short of phenomenal which is which is surprising everyone to be honest because I was definitely someone who thought they had absolutely no chance at, at survival realistically they are still some way off safety they're still eight points away from from getting out of the relegation zone which is quite a lot so they've done really well to recover after that points deduction but it's still a tough ask but they've got what a lot of the sides around them haven't and that is ridiculous belief um and the fans are behind the team as well I mean regardless of what's going on with the the issues around the future of the club the the fans are getting behind the players and that's really important yeah, we went big on the financial situation on Thursday. It's changing hourly, it would seem. Athletic subscribers can read an update on it with Middlesbrough and Wickham suing Derby for loss of earnings and how Derby's administrators are hoping to find a way around that. It's in David Ornstein's Monday column. I can understand why Wickham are doing that, but Middlesbrough, um, that is a little bit baffling to me. Um, Clarky, just before we came on to record, uh, I saw a tweet from TalkSport saying that Everton are in talks with the Belgian FA to try and get Roberto Martinez back to Goodison, which will be music to Derby fans' ears because you would assume that Rooney would be, what, second favourite to get that job? Yeah, he'd be a really popular choice, wouldn't he, at Goodison Park, that is for sure. The fans would would love to see Wayne Rooney return. And yeah, whether you believe he's done enough already to, to, to be given that responsibility, I think is is a matter that would divide a lot of people. But, but he's got... He's got good momentum, hasn't he? And his reputation is is absolutely, um, you know, sky high at the moment, Wayne Rooney. So I wouldn't blame him if they did make an approach. But but look, Roberto Martinez is 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 probably a safer bet, given given his his CV. But but one day, Wayne Rooney, I would imagine, would would manage Everton if he can continue to to succeed. Um, I thought he did really well in this game as well. He made a change. At half time with um, Ebersele, who played left back for a change. He's normally on the right. At half time, he changed it and he, he took off Joswiak, who can be very hit or miss, often more miss than hit, really. Took him off, put Forsyth on at left back and pushed Ebersele down the right. <laughs> you know, that was, that was an unbelievable run from the young player there. So um, so it's another big tick in the box for, for Wayne Rooney. He is a smart manager. I think he's got excellent game awareness. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, you look at this now, the situation as well with, with Everton and you wouldn't want Rooney to perhaps make the same, I don't know if you could call it a mistake, but the same move that Frank Lampard did after being at Derby and then going back to his, his you know, uh, his club. So I feel like it'd be smarter for Rooney to to hold off and, and see where he might be able to kind of make a bit more of a gradual step up. Also, the... The situation at Derby is difficult, but the situation at Everton isn't great either. Um, but I do think as, as a coach, like Adrian said, I think Rooney looks like he's got more coaching ability than, than Lampard did have. I think mean, Lampard was much more of a kind of 
important figure within the club and and reconnecting the fans. But I don't think his coaching ability was always particularly impressive. Whereas I think Rooney's shown quite a lot of promise during his time at Derby County that he, he does know what he's doing when it comes to the way he his teams want to play. And, and that that change in the game was was yeah a masterstroke. Uh, well, that was a great game in terms of the goals, the quality, the emotion, etc. But I think game of the day in the championship went down at Kenilworth Road. Luton and Bournemouth shared five goals in a thriller in Bedfordshire, which ended in style. This is nice man. Uh, your old Chargers then, Sam. Big win for them. Another good result against the top team as well after that draw against Fulham. Were they were they worthy of the three points here? Oh, well, it's, it's no fluke the way they keep winning games and taking points late on. Um, I think kind of uh, a beautiful sight when the, the fourth official holds his board up and there's a few minutes for Luton to go and attack. So I think you, you highly commend them for that. I think Nathan Jones, when... It was Campbell got injured in the second half. He pushed Kyle Naismith into midfield. And Naismith is just having an unbelievable season, irrelevant of where he's positioned, centre of a back three, left of a back three, even in midfield. So that came to fruition for him beautifully, Nathan Jones at the weekend. I text um, a couple of Scottish mates of mine in the past month or so saying how good Naismith is. And I won't tell you what their response was because they cannot believe that this player's churning out these consistent performances because I think he's a bit of a maverick and um, his career is really on a, a good-looking trajectory at the moment. He could probably get a move off the back of how well he's playing. But um, I thought that was interesting. I thought Cameron Jerome starting after it looked like he wasn't going to probably be at the club, I would say, a few weeks ago, months ago. Um, looked like he wasn't getting any t- game time at all. So I thought his partnership with Adebayo was very good in comparison to Bournemouth's attack, which, of course, had its moments, but Solanke looked a bit isolated. So another great scout for, for Luton and hugely impressive given that they've not been playing football at all, really, in the last few weeks uh, and months. So um, Nathan Jones has got them firing in those last two games, FA Cup and, and now a league victory. Luton, Luton were brilliant, but I think um, for Bournemouth, it's just kind of another another example of how important Philip Billing is to them. I mean, they they just felt like they couldn't get going in midfield at all. They were overrun for a lot of the game. That that sort of the high wing backs that Luton have just kind of overloaded them, and and Bournemouth couldn't compete really in in the centre of the park. And it, I think it's probably worrying for for Scott Parker about how much losing a player like that. I mean, it only seems like a, a short-term absence because it's just a knock, but it is probably worrying how much that impacts his whole entire side. It's probably positive that they still manage to score two goals, uh, even without him, but he does, certainly plays a massive part defensively and going forward, goals and assists he's got this season. So I think they do need to think about the way that they play without him and who's going to provide that dominant force in midfield to just get control of the game. Yeah, he's had top billing, no doubt about that. Two questions for you, Clarky. One on each team. Firstly, Bournemouth. Can they afford to be getting no points in this kind of game? I looked at their running. Last five games, Borough, Coventry, Fulham, Blackburn, and then they finish at home to Millwall. So they might regret these kind of games where they ought to have been taking something and got nothing. And secondly, if you're not having Steve Cooper's fist pump, what are you making of Nathan Jones's knee slide? Which, by the way, is now Luton's Twitter account's header. 
<laughs> I'm, I, yeah, I'm, I'm not having Steve Cooper, as, as we know, with his um, pre-planned um, USP, trying to impress the fans. What we saw with Nathan Jones is just natural impulse from, from a passionate manager who didn't do it to, to get on side with the fans, to say, look, I'm one of you. I'm honest, I really am, like Mr. Cooper. Um, Jonesy was, was, was a total... Total sort of overreaction, really. I think when he looks back, he'll probably say, got got a touch carried away. But no, nothing against that at all. Um, and I, I was interested, I, was, I saw some quotes from Nathan. He was, he was saying, look, I did go overboard, but and he injured his hamstring as well, by the way, um, which is quite funny. I saw but that. <laughs> yeah, but he said, he said that it's just for moments like that, is what we work those long hours for. And he said, look, we've worked an 80-hour week this week. And it it does put it into perspective. It's not just him, of course, and managers up and down the land are all doing the same along with their staff. But he said that you know, members of his staff have been sleeping in the office, have been really, really late nights sort of working on analysis and plans for, for the game ahead. It, it is such an all-consuming you know all consuming job. And when you get those unbelievable moments, and it was a brilliant moment from from Caldini as they call him now um you've got to enjoy it so I'm not going to hammer Nathan at all uh, as for Bournemouth I, I think they'll be all right it's yes yeah, a disappointment it's one of those days where they didn't weren't really at it as as Flo said the midfield was was poor on the day 2-2 wouldn't have been the worst result in the world so it feels worse I think uh, the, the fact that they conceded late on by the way very quickly Jack Stacey's assist for Marcondes's goal definitely worth a mention absolutely sensational he obviously loves Kenilworth Road but no doubt he's inspired a little bit by Ethan Laird's arrival um, at Bournemouth it's amazing what a bit of competition can do for a player all right, two of our panel were cocker hoops after their beloved Queen's Park Rangers left it late to snatch all three points against West Brom at the Kyan Prince Foundation Stadium. Former baggy Charlie Austin with a last-minute winner which sees Rangers leapfrog Albion into fourth place. We'll start with a tough question. Flo, what did you make of that kit that QPR were wearing? Well, I think, I think it's a nice idea. Obviously, most people would look at that and just say, why are you wearing Wickham's kit? And Ian Holloway said the same on Quest. But I think when you watch the video about why they created it, I think it's a nice idea. They've done similar in the past, actually, for an anniversary kit back when Ainsworth was in the team. But um, yeah, I think it's I think it's fine. But what a sort of potentially season-defining result. And it's been a difficult couple of weeks for Charlie Austin because his performances haven't been great. But I do think that is the difference with a player like him and, say, Lyndon Dykes. Even when he's not at his fittest even when he's not at his sharpest, he still can be clinical with a good opportunity that comes his way. Um, and Chris Willock as well with the delivery. Elias chairs out at the African Cup of Nations, probably not getting as much game time as he deserves. So Chris Willock is, is very much the star of the show at the moment and, and crucial for any creativity that, that QPR are going to have. And he's kind of stepped up when they needed him. But I think Johan Barbe was probably the star of the show, finishing the the game with kind of a, a bloodied bandage. He's, he played every minute of every game last season and has pretty much done the same again this season. Played on, made two ridiculous challenges during the game to, to stop West Brom from scoring. He's out of contract in the summer. I'm pretty confident they're going to secure a new deal for him. Just, you know, is about 
the club and the player meeting the, the the right price. But I feel like he does definitely want to stay and he seems to be enjoying his time there. And I, I just don't now know how he's managed to stay fit for that entire period. It's it's pretty impressive. impressive. But like I think we've probably talked about before, such a tight squad. You know, they've only really got three fit centre-backs at the moment. So if, any, if they lose any of those players it will dramatically impact their their chances of how high they're going to finish this season. So I think there's still an important few weeks of this window left to try and bring in a couple of extra bodies. But all in all, I mean, it's, yeah, it's just been such a, such a good season so far. Yeah, Barbe did well to walk in a straight line, didn't he, after he got launched into the advertising hoardings by uh, Daryl DK. On that kit, by the way, uh, QPR produced it, they say, to commemorate 140 years since the first foundations of the club were laid. Uh, according to the website, the kit offers a perfect fit and maximum freedom of movement made from soft and comfortable skin technical fabric, which, thanks to its double knit structure, ensures ventilation and optimum body temperature. Uh, just like the kits of 140 years ago, it can be yours for £59.95, uh, which is very much a <laughs> 2022 <laughs> price. My word. Um, Sam, Charlie Austin, he's not Kevin Gallen, he's not Celez, but he's uh, he's a pretty important figure in, in QPR's recent history. He, he is, yeah. I mean, he's part of a promotion winning team, um, scored goals in the Premier League. He's come back and, and scored important goals again. And, I mean, he's from Hungerford, isn't he, Charlie? So you'd probably argue that Reading Swindon's more his local side, but he, he buys into... What being a QPR player is for the you know supporters looking on, and I think his his wife was involved in something pre Christmas um, as well at the club, um, some some charity work. So he clearly loves being at, at QPR, and um, yeah, typical Austin finish. I don't disagree with anything that Flo said. I think those strikers are just about doing enough. We don't have a a top level championship striker right now, I would I would argue. But with Willock's creativity and chair when he comes back, those two are the key components alongside Barbe and Jimmy Dunn, who I thought was miles off it at the start of the season. And I've watched him live a few times recently. He's been nothing short of magnificent. You know, most clearances, most interceptions at the weekend in this game, complementing Brilliant work done by Barbe alongside him. So, no, it's going brilliantly. And, um, you know, Barbe's been in West London a long time now. And, um, yeah, there's not a, a big hatred between Brentford and QPR, but he's made that step no problem at all. And no reason as to why he won't want to stay and, and play for Mark Warburton and try and get in the Premier League with them. Um, Clarky, if I could borrow a flowism, the, the juju around West Brom feels pretty bad at the moment. No wins in four, and it's like they're pinning everything on Daryl DK to, to get them over the line, which doesn't seem like a brilliant plan. No. Well, if you look at their form across the last 12 matches, West Brom are the 18th best team in the championship. I mean, 12 matches is quite a large run, and, and 17 teams have accrued more points. Birmingham, we know how bad Birmingham are. They've got more points than, than West Brom over that period of time. So, so they're not in good form. The away form is really bad. I think five points for a possible 27 since the start of October. So none of that is promotion form. Um, in this game, I actually thought they played all right. It was it was a competitive game. Could have, could have gone either way. They were depleted, weren't they? Matt Clark was the only proper centre-half they had available. So this one wasn't a disaster, but but in general, they've been poor. And yeah, as you rightly say, DK's under massive pressure 
to single-handedly turn their season around. I, I don't think he can on his own, although they did look better when he came on. Um, I mean, he's lucky. Lucky in some ways he didn't get sort of... I, I don't know whether he was lucky not to get sent off, but what he did when he knocked Barbe into the into the dugout was a bit naughty, wasn't it? It was... Uh, he could easily have got because it wasn't any, not even a not even a free kick or a yellow card for that it was mass. But I mean, West Brom probably should have had a penalty as well. So yeah. um, I think Varian Ishmael was understandably pretty cheesed off about that. Can yeah. I just say that the, the, that DK shoulder barge, it took me right back to a day. I'll never forget. It was on the Arsenal training ground. And I, I think I'd scored a goal in this five aside. And I was being a bit of a cheeky, cheeky git, sort of rubbing people's nose, noses in it. And, and I'd done something to upset John Hartson um through this and John's like the nicest sort of softest big man ever and he just lost it with me and he gave me a DK style shoulder barge and and honestly I, <laughs> I think I went off the pitch like it was that far it was so embarrassing um and I, and I got laughed yeah laughed into the change rooms I think afterwards because I got ragged old but yeah that that's what DK did to Barbe um unbelievable strength Ile Berkovich listening in going, yeah, that sounds really bad. I really feel for you there, <laughs> um, Elsewhere, nothing can stop the monumental rise of two-time European champions, Nottingham Forest. Uh, well, nothing except all the other teams around them winning as well. Uh, still, who doesn't love a last-minute winner? That's what Lewis grabbed at the Den Forest, inflicting capital punishment on London Oppo for the second week in succession. Flo, you were there. Couldn't miss our boys in that kit, could you? <laughs> yeah, and I'm really annoyed because I was convinced one of them was going to pass it to a steward by accident and they didn't, which is really annoying because it was literally exactly the same as a high-vis jacket that a steward might be wearing. Um, yeah, I really felt for Mill actually, um, but in a very cliche fashion, if you don't take your chances, then they, you're going to come back and bite you. I think injuries are becoming a massive issue for Gary Wright. Lost Tom Bradshaw on Saturday, he slipped in the box in the first half and kind of twisted his knee. But Rowett said afterwards that Bradshaw said he heard a pop, which is never what you want to hear as a player. So that doesn't sound great. Shea Ojo came off uh, the start of the second half, rolled his ankle. Rowett said that swelled up. Um, Hutchinson was limping at one point. He's he's a you know a brave guy, and I'm sure will you know probably manage to play the rest of the season. Jed Wallace, obviously linked to, to Forest, has been injured. The injury issues are piling up, and with every man they lose, there's more creativity that goes out the window. Benikafobi looked looked good on 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 Saturday, but missed some good chances. Um, but the belief the belief with Forest is 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 brilliant, and I think you know I was asking Steve Cooper afterwards about kind of you know, making your own luck at times. And I think they did do that. They 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 rode their luck for a lot of their game. Um, Samba pulled off some worldy saves. But you could tell that they kind of thought they were going to found, find the winner, even though they were pretty anonymous the entire first half. Um, you know, created one chance uh, that Yates had. And then out of nowhere, they, they get the winner. And yeah, it's huge. It's huge. And when you've got that belief, it just makes such a difference. And they haven't had that before. So even without a ton of creativity... I think, you know, they're, they're marching towards the playoffs, it looks like. It just has to be so backhanded when anybody on this podcast pays Forrest a compliment. <laughs> Remarkable. I had 20 shots in the second half, by the way, so it wasn't that against the run of play getting a goal. Um, Sam, I'm just going to chuck this on your blinds with absolutely no warning. 
But where does Bree Samba rank in terms of the championship's best keepers? Because I feel like he never, ever gets a mention. He, he had a, a dodgy start to the season, as everybody else who played for Forest did. But as Flo said, he pulled off some unbelievable saves in this game. And he's been doing that for the majority of his time in English football. I think if you rewind a couple of seasons, he was in me and Clarkey's team of the year, wasn't he? Mm, he was definitely he in was. my six-month team of the season, I think. So yeah. I was a big fan of his in his... Um, his initial season. Um, I think he's had some sticky spells, hasn't he? But the Forest fans have always loved him. Um, and yeah, I think I've always been pretty complimentary about him on, on the podcast. So right up there would be my answer. Just behind, just tucked in behind Senny Dieng, Jordan Archer and David Marshall. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Um, Adrian, I'm just looking at the championship table now. Are we thinking it's basically from, from Huddersfield to Forest as the teams who will be able to, to break into the playoffs? So Forest in 10th on 37 points. That's four points ahead of Millwall. Huddersfield just a point behind sixth place Middlesbrough. Is it, is it, is it those four teams who might threaten the, the four who are already in the playoffs? Yeah, I can see exactly why you'd, why you'd ask that question. I think yes is, the, is my best guess. I'd go to Forest. I think they've obviously got a great chance, but below them, I'm not sure. The only ones are Sheffield United, who obviously lost at the weekend, but they've got loads of games in hand and, and we know that they've got a quality squad. So they might have a chance of, of getting there. But yeah, I think I think that's what we're looking at now. The top 10 plus Sheffield United uh, are the playoff contenders. And it's, just, it's all to play for, isn't it? It really is. And yeah, I th- I'd echo everything that's been said about Forrest. Just very efficient, very good on the counter-attack. It was another turn of pace, wasn't it, from Brennan Johnson that, that unlocked the door. He's, he can do nothing all game. And and I think that, that what Forrest have got to be wary of now is that Spence and Johnson are marked men. Okay, I think Millwall did a good job of closing their space down in the game. Didn't, didn't impact it as regularly as they did against Arsenal. And that's what's going to happen now because everyone knows they, they're rapid and they're very, very dangerous and they link up well. So they've got to find a way. And and in this game, Brennan Johnson had that one little bit of gap, didn't he, to surge into. He did it, opened the door and, and, and you know, hey, presto, Lewis grab and scores. So, yeah, well, well done. Well done, Nottingham Forest. Excellent. That is that is that good uh, enough right, for you, we... Matt? Well, that'll do. Can we move on now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Small matter of Forest Derby next weekend, by the way. I uh, just wanted a brief word on on Fulham six, Bristol City two. Uh, let's just throw another random question at you, Sam. Is Mitrovic the best ever Championship striker? Um, wasn't there an article about this recently? Clarkey <laughs> contributed as well, I believe. Who did you go for, Clarkey? I went for Dwight Gale um, because yeah, he's got him. a ridiculous record. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> because you were assigned him in the beast. Yeah, quite. That's, that's usually how it works. Um, he's up there, though, isn't he? I mean, he had that that little dry spell, and and yeah, now he's very much back. Yeah, he is. I, I liked Ollie saying uh, on Saturday night that basically he's fouled the defender a couple of times, but it's slightly less subtle now than it would have been in previous <laughs> yeah. seasons, which didn't make a great deal of sense to me. Let's be honest. But um, what were your thoughts on Ollie's maybe, jumper? <laughs> just 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 while we're on Ollie. Too heavy, too heavy. A little bit of fisherman yeah. for TV. It was very, it was very oh. sort of E seventeen uh, vibes. I was, I was intrigued by the. It's selection. got to be lighter unless it's snowing in the studio. Yeah, totally. <laughs> in, a, in a sentence, but um, he didn't, he didn't go for the for the park in V neck, which is an interesting choice. But you know, some people can't get it right every week. V neck, really? 
<laughs> are um, you not? Are you not a quarter? Yeah, you're a quarter. You're a quarter zip man, aren't you? Oh yeah, yeah. The quarter zip. The quarter zip. The yeah. come up from time to time. Yep. Um, sorry, I lost my chain of thought. Mitrovic is definitely the best striker ever in the championship um, currently. <laughs> so I'll be like, I will be fascinated if they get promoted to see if he can go up and be dreadful again. That would, you know, that'd be ama- that'd be amazing. It can't happen, <laughs> can it? Surely, because of the way he's finishing at the moment is is unbelievable. I was at the Reading game, and um, I mean, circumstances went against Reading that night, but but Fulham are scintillating going forward at the moment, and it's the su- support cast as well. Big threat from set pieces, you know, the last two games as well. They look like they're almost getting ahead on every um, delivery in the box, you know, whether it flies in or not. Um, but yeah, they're, they're brilliant in front of goal right now. Bristol City's second goal, was that, was that the best one of this game? There are a few, a few crackers. You I think so, down. yeah. It was it was a shame, wasn't it, for, for Antoine Semenyo that, that they got battered in the end because it was... You know, virtuoso performance from him at times. Semenyo's away on, again. Antoine. Can he shrug off Harrison Reed? He shoots. Oh, hits the yes, post. And in. in what a <laughs> remarkable finish from Antoine Semenyo. He doubles his tally for the afternoon. I think it was Sam recently had, had said that Semenyo was coming to the fore and is starting to look like a real player, someone that can be a force in in the championship. And yeah, we got we got a real glimpse there, didn't we? He's still pretty young. Love the way he sort of shrugged off Tim Ream with ease and uh, to surge through at goal. Great little dummy for the other one as well, and um, dragging the ball from one foot to the other. So yeah, keep your eye on Semenyo in a in a pretty average Bristol City team. He he could be someone that you know if he maintains that level that, that goes places. Now then, it'll be up to producer Abby as to whether any of that Parker and jumper chat actually makes the edit. One thing that definitely will are the odds that she's about to finish us with, courtesy of Paddy Power. Yeah, we've got four games in the midweek in the championship and Fulham at Birmingham obviously leaps off the page as the one to watch. If you fancy Fulham to carry on their ridiculous goal scoring form and for this game to have over 3.5 goals, you're looking at 31 to 20 with uh, Paddy Power. If you fancy a 4-1 win for Fulham, I've just plucked that one out. That's 14 to 1. And uh, it's worth noting that uh, Alex Mitrovic is uh, 16 to 1 on to be the top scorer in uh, the championship. Um, The other game, I like quite like the look of was uh, Reading versus Luton. Luton are the odds on favourites to beat the Royals. They're 19 to 20, Reading 27 to 10, and the draw is uh, 12 to 5. Uh, those Mitro goal scorer odds, particularly mad when you think there's another player who's already got 20 league goals in the division. Uh, right, we're going to head to League One next. <laughs> It's the Paddy Power Football Supporters Support Line. We're talking to Arsenal fan Dave about his New Year's resolutions. How's the 10,000 steps going, Dave? Yeah, it's going great, thanks. The 50 push-ups? Every day. And how about moaning less about Arsenal? Oh, seriously, mate, we need to sign a new midfielder if we want top four. And don't get me started on Liverpool postponing that campaign. Being a football fan isn't always rewarding. But if it's rewards you're after, you can get money back as a free bet if one leg of your bet builder lets you down. Paddy Power. Pre-match online bet builder bets only. Min odds one to five per leg. Min four plus legs. Max free bet £10 per day. Excludes enhanced match odds. Season season apply. 18 plus begumbleaware.org. Because you're a listener of the Totally Football League show, you can get a third off an Athletic subscription right now. All you need to do is head to theathletic.com forward slash league show. That's theathletic.com forward slash league show. In League One, Wickham are the new leaders after they beat Oxford and Sunderland and Rotherham both stumbled. A Wigan just about squeezed past bottom side Doncaster, whilst Wednesday boosted their playoff hopes by thumping Plymouth. 
Bolton gave their chances of beating the drop a shot in the arm after seeing off Ipswich. Transfer-wise, Chucks and Ike's rejoined Charlton just six months after leaving the Valley for Birmingham. He scored a late equaliser for the Addicts at the weekend. A Gillingham have brought in Watford keeper Pontus Dahlberg after previous loanee custodian Jamie Cummings swapped the jewels for MK Dons. And Fleetwood have signed defender Toto Inciala, who's not in Kansas anymore. He's not in Ipswich anymore either. He did get an assist on his debut, though. Uh, double delight for Wickham at Adams Full Car Park on Saturday. Not only did the chair boys move top of League One, but they also beat their local rivals to do so. Uh, Clark, you had a stat earlier in the season about Wickham having an easier run in. Is, is that going to make you change your mind as to the uh, the destination of the Championship trophy? In well, they're in the mix, that is for sure, because their run in on paper isn't bad at all. They've played all of the top eight away from home. That was the stat that I dropped in a few weeks ago. And, and at home, they've still got to face Rotherham, Wigan, MK Don, Sheffield Wednesday and Plymouth. And we know that Wickham are really, really strong at home. So so they're potentially huge six-pointers, all of those games. And you'd fancy them to win a selection of them, wouldn't you? So no, they have to be considered as, as contenders. But you could look around all of them and they all, they, they've all got a great claim to go up this season, haven't they? Wigan with the games in hand, you've been outstanding. Rotherham, I think, are the, are the strongest team in the division, the hardest maybe to beat. And and then you've got Sunderland as well, who who are talented, but as we've seen of late, a li- little bit flaky. So um, yeah, two two from four is going to be really harsh on, on the two that miss out. Sam Wickham's the next club of yours. Just try and put into context for us what an achievement it would be for them to to get promotion to the championship twice in the space of three seasons. Yeah, incredible. Incredible. There's still, I suppose, I don't want to say non-league feel to it, but they do have that kind of um, underdog spirit running through the, the club. I think that's in evidence when you meet the people at the club, the people that support them since the the likes of Martin O'Neill were at the helm, and and um, they 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 remain, you know, I think unfancied by by people you know outside the club, especially with some of the powerhouses in that division. But again, I just think Gareth Ainsworth subtly is is changing and making them more adaptable. They've got more footballers in the team. That is un questionable. Gareth McCleary, you know, probably wouldn't have got in a, Wick- a Wickham team two years ago. He is the the craft. I thought the balance in the midfield for this game in particular, I've spoke about Mimetti being uh, playing in the in the midfield. He was further forward here and he had um, Thompson back in, uh, in, in the midfield alongside Scoen. That's a much better League One midfield for ball winning and, um, uh, and, and having a little bit more muscle in there. And I think that's where the game was won. I think Oxford United... Well, they struggled against Wickham in the playoff final. And I don't think with the players they've got missing right now can match the, the physicality, the, the way that Wickham squeezed the game. And I think that was obvious with the, the trio that they can field at the moment in midfield. So I don't think it's the end of Oxford, but I think they probably need to do they probably need to do a couple of bits of business, I would say, in January. For for their supporters' sake and for Carl Robinson, I think another striker. It was really interesting to hear the post-match thoughts of, of Carl Robinson. I think they had a long, long chat with the Oxford players in the dressing room afterwards. He said he wasn't ranting or raving, but he basically was was doing the old manager's favourites, favourite one after a defeat. You know, if you want to be here, great. If you don't, come and see me and you can go. It was one of those. <laughs> managers have been doing it since the beginning 
of time. And I think his biggest beef with his team at the moment is that he thinks that they're playing as individuals and not as a team. Obviously, Wickham, very cohesive, aren't they? Very united. He doesn't feel that Oxford United are, are as together maybe as as some of the other teams in the division playing as individuals it was, was sort of one of the things that he hinted at, wasting energy on, on on individual things rather than making good decisions for the team. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see who does leave Oxford United this month because um, he's laid down the gauntlet now. Again, Flo, just screams of juju that's less than perfect to me, this about Oxford. Obviously, they've got a sort of new owner, new stadium coming, new investment, one win in five, I'm not saying it's promotional bus for Carl Robinson, but he's he's getting pretty close to that, hasn't he? Isn't he? He's been there for, for a reasonable amount of time, been, you know, into the playoffs and whatever, but it just always seems to be a little stutter quite often around this point of the season and it and it just falls apart a bit. Yeah, it's been a, not a good start to the year for them. Um, they've only got one point from three games, scored one goal, conceded five. Um, but they have been in and around the playoffs for a good chunk of the season so like you said they always know that they compete um but i think there's a there's a frustration there that against the weak, weaker sides they can dominate and 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 win games but against any team that kind of figures them out works out how to set up against them which Wickham did very well they will struggle and they're struggling to break down sides that are well organized defensively uh, and i think that's that's a big issue because if they're going to break through and secure a playoff spot and also try and challenge some of the teams that are you know, way more consistent than they are at the top of the table. Then they need to they need to have a bit of a, a backup plan when they're not breaking down teams. But I think when you look at the table now, like you said, with how tight the promotion race is, I mean, even the playoffs at the end of the season are going to be brilliant because it's just so so tight and things could change dramatically with all those games in hand that that, that all the teams have. You know, just in the space of a couple of weeks, things could swing pretty quickly. Uh, shock of the day came at Highbury where Fleetwood beat erstwhile table toppers Rotherham, something about games in the northwest that, that seemed to disagree with the Millers. Sam, am I being too kind to say that the, the quagmire of a pitch really worked against Rotherham here? Yeah, I think you are, Matt, probably. Um, Rotherham can uh, mix their game up, shall I say. Um, they put a lot of balls into the box. I don't know if the flanks were particularly... Um, Destroyed, but yeah, I mean, I I don't see it being too much of a problem for them. What I do see as a problem is they've they've stopped scoring all of a sudden, just two in the last four games. There's some quite interesting stuff with Paul Warren and Freddie Ladapo. Obviously, he's um, had some interest from elsewhere. He wants to leave the club. Paul Warren opted to bring Coyote on in front of him for the misfiring Will Grigg at halftime, and that needs resolved because him and, and Michael Smith are the key components to getting Rotherham back into the championship. And poor deliveries from wide at the weekend. I spoke about Ferguson and Ogben providing ammunition for the strikers. I think 40 deliveries from wide, just nine successful ones at the weekend. So, yeah, the strikers are the problem right now. Getting goals defensively, Rotherham, you know, the best, best in the business really at that level. Yeah, just to extend on that, I mean, he's being stubborn with with not playing Ladapo, and he, he said afterwards that he's training well and they haven't fallen out and all this. But it's he's got to make a call because they are missing out on points in games 
through this stubbornness with with dropping him and clearly there isn't anyone good enough to to play in his his spot at the moment um and it does seem to be impacting the rest of the squad as well so if he's not gonna well, I mean, you can see it both ways as well because also by playing him, you're putting in the sh- him in the shop window anyway. So if he gets, if he plays well, that's only gonna aid the chances of, of Rotherham selling him. And then by not playing him, you know, you're, you're shooting yourself in the foot because you're missing out on 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 goals that way. So I, it seems like a, a bad idea to have this kind of medium way sitting on the bench, unhappy, probably unhappy in training too, and you and the club aren't getting anything from it. It takes me back to Peterborough United this time last year and Siriki Dembele was the subject of great interest, I think, from teams at a higher level and he put in a transfer request. Peterborough politely declined it and said, well, we're going to ignore that, um, but you, we, we'll let you play. And and yeah, as it, exactly what Flo just said, we'll let you go and you can play in the shop window as long as your attitude is okay go out there and play and do the business and, and stay with us till the end of the season, maybe, and, and see where you stand. And of course, they went up and he stayed. And yeah, it, it's been quite a positive story. And he was excellent during that second half of the season. There was no sulking from Dembele uh, at Posh. So yeah, hopefully, if Ladapo is a good lad, then then that's something that they can um, come to an agreement on. Um, Abby, can we get some odds on League One, please? As you asked so nicely, yes, you can. Uh, another four matches in League One in the midweek. I've put together an acker on uh, the uh, four favourites here. So uh, Rotherham to get back to winning ways uh, against Lincoln. They're four to nine. Uh, Wigan, the favourites against Morecambe. They're away, but they are 13 to eight on uh, to win that one. Cambridge are the favourites against Doncaster. Um, they are seven to 10. And then it's a bit tricky between AM, AFC Wimbledon and Portsmouth. Not really either in great moments, either of them, but I will go with the favourites on this one, which is Portsmouth, despite the fact that Wimbledon are my local team. Uh, Portsmouth are five to seven. That brings your acker to eight to one if you fancied backing all those four favourites well don't forget the 13 in there Abby always love to hear that we'll dip into League 2 next this is the Totally Football League show with Matt Davis-Adams In League Two, shock. Forest Green Rovers only seven points clear with a game in hand after being held by Northampton. Uh, second place, Tranmere, the beneficiaries. They beat Rochdale 2-0. Bottom side, Oldham's game with Orient was called off due to COVID cases, but second bottom, Scunthorpe, failed to capitalise. They lost at Exeter. Uh, Mansfield won again. It's, it's happening, lads. And Harry McCurdy signed a contract extension at Swindon, having initially inked a one-year deal when he joined last summer. You happy about that, Sam? Yeah, very much so. Yeah, loved loved the Maverick in uh, Harry McCurdy, and he's playing playing brilliantly. Three assists, I think. He's claiming he's claiming assists for something peculiar. I can't remember what it was, but there was that beautiful slip through ball for Johnny Williams, a deflected shot, and the penalty when he got fly kicked. There you go. That's that's not an assist. <laughs> <laughs> Um, let's have a look at Northampton 1, FGR 1 then. Northampton remain in the third automatic promotion place after they fought back to earn a point against the runaway leaders. Um, so, Clarky, nobody won, but maybe both teams won. Northampton were never going to catch Forest Green Rovers, but they end a run of successive defeats and FGR set a club unbeaten league run. Keep everyone at arm's length. Yeah, everyone's a winner, I think, except no one on the day. But yeah, it's um, a really good result for, for Northampton. I said, I think, on the last pod that there were signs from the second half of their previous game against Crawley that 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 they're getting back up to speed again, and 
And yeah, in, in this particular match, they, they they basically grit their teeth. They rode it out. Very resilient performance um, in midfield. There's some big performances as well from individuals. I think Sean McWilliams in midfield, uh, five tackles, four interceptions. He, he was here, there and everywhere. And Mitch Pinnock, who scored that late equaliser, was the man of the match. He, he worked his socks off from the sort of left side of the attack. He saved probably a certain goal by tracking back and and stopping them on on the counter attack single handedly. So yeah, it was um, it was good scenes, wasn't it? At the end, it was it was like it was a cup game, and Northampton has sort of clinched it right at the death with the the fans running onto the pitch. It, it just shows you, yeah, what what it means, I guess, to the to the Northampton fans to to potentially go up this season. But yeah, big point for them, Forest Green. It's not bad, is it? You've gone to one of your main rivals away from home almost won the game and and I think they've proven that they can handle these tough away tests again that's something we talked about before haven't had many games at the best teams um, away from home this season they've done it at the weekend and and, and they very nearly won uh, Flo did you laugh as hard as I did at the uh, Forest Green defender who flung himself to the floor in the build up to the equaliser after what looked like a, a nasty gust of wind put him right <laughs> around the side of the face yeah, that was really embarrassing. They talked about it on Quest. Um, and who was it again? Nicky Cadden. If if he if he had stayed if he had stayed on his feet, and he probably would have had a better chance of actually defending the cross that then comes into the box to to get the equaliser. So, yeah, it's just really embarrassing where you, when you actually go down like you've absolutely been snipered. But I mean, Forest Forest Green Rovers are are so 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 good, and I think. Unlike most of the teams in the division, I think they just show that you can effectively lead from the back with their defensive record kind of being all they need to to, to keep them going. Um, 11 clean sheets from 24 games. They, on average, concede less than one goal a game. It's just ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. Um, and they kind of have the confidence to know that that you know, the goals will come from other areas. But then if you have those defensive foundations, I mean, that that's kind of going to gonna get you get you places. So, yeah, so impressive. And I don't, I don't think anyone can catch them. Sam, the, the, the FGR goal enraged Northampton. You could kind of see why. No goal line technology in League Two, but, you know, usually appoint an assistant with reasonable eyesight and that would have mitigated against this particular incident. Can't believe Clarkie didn't bring it up. He's first to slaughter referees in <laughs> Unbelievable scene. Um, from my eyes and what I've seen, it's never a goal in a million years. I think the goalkeeper actually ruffles the net and that's probably why it's been given, as if the ball's actually yeah. made contact yeah. with a rigging. But definitely. It's definitely not in. Definitely not in from what I've seen. So um, probably a... Probably right that that Northampton were able to get the, the equaliser. And thanks for Nicky Cadden for supplying us with that moment of brilliance um, to, to go along with it. Sam, I am going to save my wrath of referees for the next game. So you'll be pleased to know. Oh, my goodness. Come on, Matt. <laughs> Give it to him. This is the worst I've ever seen. All right. So this was a 3-3 draw between Stevenage and Sutton. Sutton came from 2-0 down and equalising the eighth minute of stoppage time. But go on then, Clarkie, that, that wasn't your takeaway from the game. <laughs> Not often do I get furious at a penalty decision. Especially, yeah, I'm a long time retired. I know I'm a former Stevenage player and I, I want Stevenage to do well. But really, 
it's no biggie to me whether they, they, they can see the penalty or not. But that made me furious. It is one of the worst. Calls. I've written it here. Sam, I wish you could see my notes. One of the worst calls I've ever seen. <laughs> so we're on the same page there. It's a great tackle. He's, he's knocked the ball so cleanly behind for a corner that, that you know, only somebody with very bad eyesight or no clue about football would realise that that is not a foul. It is, it is a joke. It's a really good uh, challenge. <laughs> it, was a, it was a superb challenge. And, and yeah. A uh, Sutton player appeals for a corner. Yeah. <laughs> Just makes it for me. <laughs> um, I, I did like, I like Matt Gray quite a bit and I, I liked him admitting that it, it wasn't a penalty. Flo, I bet you've, you've done a bit of Sutton on your, on your BBC London rounds. They're, they're pretty much the story of the season in League Two, really, aren't they? Especially after that whiffy start that they had. They're just absolutely flying now. Yeah, I can't, I can't believe where they are on the table. It's amazing. And I mean, you talked about the belief that your uh, lovely forest had uh, have had over the last couple of weeks, but the number of late goals that that Sutton have got is ridiculous. They just do not give up. Um, I think it's what nine goals in the last ten minutes of games they were talking about on Quest. And perhaps in, in the, what I think what was so great about this game, and I think probably maybe it's actually better for Sutton where games turn into this chaos is coming from non-league. You're probably used to a little bit of, of, of chaos every now and again. And, and it's probably not necessarily that hard hard to step up then into into League Two when you're playing in games that are equally as chaotic because the, the stuff that they've had to deal with in some of their matches this season uh, has been pretty mad. So I think they almost want that. They want the, they want the slight kind of... Amateur is a harsh word, but you kind of know where, where I'm going. Just kind of messy I think they like the mess and I think that that suits the way they want to play is just kind of going back to basics football um and yeah you, you can't fault them because it's just ridiculous fifth fifth I just never would have seen that coming did you guys see the dribble from the goalkeeper I don't know if you've seen that yeah yeah it's, uh, <laughs> he was basically <laughs> playing at like wing back at one point um business who's a who's the partner of um of Steph Catley, who plays for Arsenal Women. I mean, he's he's been sensational. Was massive in their promotion last season, and has had a really good season so far. And he plays so high up the pitch. He's really good with the ball at his feet, and it just yeah, they just are mad. <laughs> uh, Sam Stephen is denied back to back league wins for the first time this season, but they're not going down under your old gaffer, are they? They've got what five points between them and second bottom Scunthorpe and and. They just look better than the teams below them. That is my very basic analysis. <laughs> no, definitely. You know, he's he's got a new formation, which he's sticking with. I think Van Kooten had to play in midfield in, in this one because Boswick wasn't wasn't around and he looked to be the most natural holding midfielder that he was going to go with. But I think, you know, with any manager going to a new club, when you've got people that you know, Jamie Reid, Jake Taylor, that's two of the front three already. They know how Paul Tisdale works. There's that personal relationship there. I think Luke Norris looks to be the story of the the, the, the start of the Paul Tisdale tenure. And there's a player there in, in Norris, you know. I saw him have some unbelievable performances at Swindon. It's just consistency and maybe believing in himself. But as a League Two striker, he should be right up there because he's got good touch, can bring people in, and he'll be really important for Stevenage moving forward. But yeah, I mean, when you look at the the three below them, I think there's a there's a big gulf in squad depth and quality 
if you compare it to Stevenage, they've got far too much to, to go down now. Abby, can you give us some odds on League Two, please? I can indeed. Uh, Matt, do you think your stag party is going to end anytime soon? Oh, uh, no, I don't. I, th- I think it's going to end in May with champagne popping everywhere and then lots of bitterness and regret the next day, just like every stag party I've ever been at. <laughs> so you're backing them to beat Forest Green uh, on yeah. Tuesday night at Forest yeah. Green. Okay, that's 16 to 5. Uh, Forest Green, 3 to 4, and the draw is 13 to 5. Um, if you fancy uh, backing um, Sutton United to carry on their good form, they're playing Colu on Tuesday, so you'd expect to win there, as do Paddy Power. They're 11 to 8 on to win that game with Colu, 4 to 1. And uh, Stevenage favourites against John Yem's Crawley Town. They are 11 to 10, with Crawley coming in at 12 to 5. A few other games there, but I won't go through them all now. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. Prices are accurate at the time of recording and when the fun stops. Stop. And now then, before we go, after Ian Everett said that Bolton will be in the Premier League in five years, I want to know who our panel think will be in the Premier League in five years. You can't pick like Man United or somebody. It's got to be somebody fairly obscure. Um, Sam, who have you gone for? Well, it's far too obvious for me to say QPR because they're going to be in there next season. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to go for Luton Town. I'm not saying they're going to... They're going to be there to stay. I'm going to just go for the the story that's gone full circle. Yeah, once in the top division, been in the non-league, new stadium that they've been planning since 1942. Um, <laughs> it's all going to come to fruition. I'm not saying they're going to stay there, but great recruitment. I think the last few seasons, there's a plan there. There's going to be uh, some investment come from somewhere. Don't know where. But um, Gary Sweet and his um, his friends on the board are going to have a nice little bit of change come in and they're going to do it, maybe via the playoffs. Nice. All right. I was going to go for Forest, but I can't on that basis. Um, so I'll say Wickham. I think I think they'll get a, a £50 million payout from Derby in the EFL and it'll be able to shoot them <laughs> up the leagues. Um, Flo, who do you go for? I'm going to go with Sheffield Wednesday. Um <laughs> I feel like it's you know I've got a lot of Wednesday fans in my kind of friendship and 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 family group um and I think I think they they deserve to be back up at the top it's been a really rough couple of years to be a Wednesday fan and I think it they're a big club that that need to be back at the very top of English football and the last couple of years as well like the the way that the teams that they've brought out have been really crap to watch <laughs> so I'd quite like to see some entertaining football at Hillsborough as well um, I feel like it's been pretty miserable all around Alright so that leaves you with Salford then Clarking. <laughs> no chance not with those dodgy owners um, no I'm going to go with um, Wigan or Ipswich I'm going to sit on the fence here both under new ownership both fiercely ambitious um, brought some very good players um, with, with the money so far and and yeah if they get up into the championship I think one or both would would continue to to speculate to accumulate and yeah they've both been there before haven't they um against the odds so yeah we're going to rip switch I did write down three players just just out of interest um three young players and um, Fabio Carvalho Fulham I can't see how he won't be in the Premier League well, much sooner than five years, to be honest. And and the two loanees, Levi Colwell at Huddersfield and Ethan Laird at Bournemouth, belonging to Chelsea and Man United, respectively. 
I think they are Premier League players too. Good stuff. Uh, we'll keep a hold of those predictions and in five years' time play them back to, to much <laughs> hilarity, I'm sure. Uh, before five years, we'll be back on Thursday when we'll be reflecting on those games that Abby mentioned that take place in midweek and looking ahead to all the big ones in the weekend to come. Until then, many thanks to Flo, to Adrian, to Sam and to Abby and to you listeners. We'll catch up with you again later in the week. From all of us here, though, it's bye for now. You've been listening to the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and keep up to date with everything Totally by heading to at the Totally Show on Twitter and on Insta. Find out the latest subscription offers by going to theathletic.com forward slash league show. The Totally Football League Show is an Athletic Media Company production. The Athletic. <laughs>